Welcome to the Red Light Report, your number one source for all things red light therapy, where you will learn how to optimize your health, wellness, and longevity with the power of photobiomodulation. I'm your host, Dr. Mike Belkowski. Hey there, guys. This is Dr. Mike Belkowski reporting for duty on another episode of the Red Light Report. If you've listened to other solo episodes, affectionately known as solo sodes, We've gone through the history, where photobiomodulation and light therapy came from. We've gone through some of the mechanisms of action, the physiology. The mitochondria specifically had two episodes dedicated to it. So if you're just starting out in red light therapy, kind of dipping your toes into the proverbial red light therapy pool, then I highly recommend you go back and listen to those episodes. There's about three or four of them, just to give yourself a better background knowledge on what red light therapy is and really why it's so efficacious and effective for so many different uh, maladies and ailments and anti-aging and longevity and so on and so forth. Because if you have that knowledge, if you're equipped with that information, then it just makes the interviews that much more valuable and it'll make these solo-sodes, this one and going forward, much more uh, sensical. You'll be able to ascertain much more because you'll be, again, equipped with that background information. So in this episode, we're going to dig into some photobiomodulation research. Photobiomodulation, just the fancy scientific term for red light therapy. And again, red light therapy in general encompasses red and near-infrared light. So we'll go through some scientific articles, and then we'll jump into some principles of red light therapy. So this episode should be a little more bang for your buck in the sense that you'll have some information that will equip you and that you can start integrating and applying if you are already utilizing red light therapy. Or if you're not, and again, you're just interested, then you'll have a better understanding of how you can utilize red light therapy if you ever do decide to invest in a device. So without further ado, let's go into the research. This first article has to deal with our beloved canine friends. This article is from 2018 out of the Canadian Veterinary Journal, and it is called A Randomized, Blind, Placebo-Controlled Trial Investigating the Effects of Photobiomodulation Therapy on Canine Elbow Osteoarthritis. And of course, as our dear friends and family members grow older, being dogs, their joints start to break down just like ours do, whether it be shoulder, elbow, hips. Quite often, if the dog lives long enough, they're going to come down with some form of osteoarthritis. So this article looked specifically at elbow osteoarthritis. And in this study, it was kind of interesting. Their method was that they would use either red light on the joint, or they would use red light and near-infrared light. The interesting part here is that the red light only was the placebo or the sham group. And I find this interesting because that's pretty smart as red light does not penetrate deeper than the skin. So even as they're putting the red light directly on the joint, the light's not going to go deep enough to affect the joint. But the treatment group had a combination of red and near-infrared. And so the near-infrared that we know penetrates deeper than the skin, it goes about an inch, inch and a half according to some research. So it will therapeutically affect the joint. So again, one group got red, red light only, the other got near-infrared light along with the red light. In this study, regularly applied photobiomodulation 
at 10 to 20 joules per centimeter squared. And for example, with most red light therapy panels, in order to get one joule centimeter squared, it takes about 10 to 8 seconds to get one joule. And again, in this study, they were applying about 10 to 20 joules. So depending on the power of the device, it could take anywhere from three to five to, to eight minutes or so. And in this, in this article, that actually took four and a half to eight minutes, depending on the size of the dog. So again, twice a week, they applied red light therapy, 10 to 20 joules for about six weeks. And those that got the near-infrared had improved lameness and pain scores, and it allowed for a reduction in NSAID, N-S-A-I-D, dose in the dogs with naturally occurring elbow arthritis compared to the similar patients, I like how they use the word patients, receiving the sham therapy. So a synopsis of that conclusion is, is that the dogs that received near-infrared light had lower lameness, lower pain scores, And I thought this was funny that they had pain scores because it's like, what does the dog do? Does it bark or does it go woof woof based on its pain level? But of course, the owner of the dog kind of just took a subjective questionnaire that looked at, you know, various markers and they they rated them one to four based on how the dog was acting, energy levels, walking and that such. So they were able to attain improved lameness, improved pain scores, and they were able to reduce uh, the intake of NSAIDs compared to the dogs that had the sham treatment, which was red light only. So again, pretty interesting, only over six weeks for osteoarthritis, which is a chronic condition, that's pretty darn solid. Non-invasive, twice a week, five to eight minutes per treatment. Pretty darn interesting, and just proof in the pudding that I get this question a lot from people is, does red light therapy work for pets? That's like, absolutely. They have mitochondria as well. And as we know, based on the science and based on the research, Red light therapy works so well because of the mitochondria. So if dogs have mitochondria, which they do, they should see a therapeutic effect as long as they are given the proper dosage. And this research article clearly shows with the proper dosage, you can reduce pain levels, lameness, and inset intake for dogs that have osteoarthritis, utilizing near-infrared. So pretty darn cool. And that article, again, was from 2018, so it's not even new-new. Uh, relatively new, but it's been around for a while. So it's not uh, hot off the press per se. Whereas this article, which is from December 2020, out of the Journal of Lasers in Medical Sciences, is looking at Alzheimer's disease. It's a systematic review. So a systematic review looks at all of the current research and selects and critically appraises all the relevant research according to the topic at hand. In this case, They were looking at the therapeutic potential of photobiomodulation in Alzheimer's disease, something I think we've all been affected by uh, in some way or another, from friends, family members, or, or personally. So this one kind of hits home for a lot of people, I think. And so what does this article from six or seven months ago say? Well, the conclusion of the systematic review says that these results indicate that photobiomodulation may be a useful tool for treating Alzheimer's disease due to its ability to reduce inflammatory response, oxidative stress, and apoptotic effects generated by A-beta and to restore mitochondrial function and cognitive function. So, really, this conclusion kind of just speaks to what red light therapy in general does. 
Not only that, but we know that the mitochondria are going to be most dense where energy is most needed. Well, the brain takes quite a bit of energy, in fact the most in the body, so it's going to be very mitochondrial dense, meaning if you can get enough power of light to the brain, you're going to see a therapeutic response. And we know that red light therapy in general reduces inflammation, reduces oxidative stress, optimizes mitochondrial health and function, and that's exactly what this systematic review shows, but specifically in Alzheimer's patients. So for people that are interested in red light therapy for cognitive health, this is a pretty good indicator that again with the correct dosages, it can work. People need to understand that just like with the canine study, if you're going to go deeper than the skin, you got to utilize near-infrared light. And so that's exactly what they did in this study, uh, with the studies that they looked at, I should say, because it's a systematic review. And across the board, reduced inflammation, reduced oxidative stress, reduced apoptotic effects generated by A-beta fibers, and then it's able to restore mitochondrial function and cognitive function. So those who are cognitively intact you can still utilize red light therapy to your benefit. You can use it prophylactically to mitigate your chances of coming down with Alzheimer's, of course, including other lifestyle habits and daily habits. But using red light therapy can really move the needle, based on this article, to mitigate your chances of getting Alzheimer's. Another point should be, and this goes for all red light therapy studies and treatments, is that the sicker you are, the bigger the improvements are going to be. And so we're able to see this response in the systematic review because they're looking specifically at people with Alzheimer's disease. If you're just on the precipice of having dementia or you're cognitively intact, the changes or the results aren't going to be as dramatic. But you're still going to attain some modulated inflammation, some modulated oxidative stress. You're going to optimize your mitochondrial health and you're going to optimize your cognitive function. So whether you have Alzheimer's or dementia or not, you can still use red light therapy to your benefit. And in fact, you've probably heard me talk about it before, but you can use this concept of preconditioning, meaning you do red light therapy before a certain task. In this case, you would utilize red light therapy prior to a cognitively intensive task. Let's say you're, you're going to go play uh, a big sports game or you have a big test you have to take or you have large mental and cognitive demands at work, you can do red light therapy prior to those events, and it will boost your cognitive function. And again, that more or less comes down to the improvement in mitochondrial function. And so again, we know with red light therapy, you improve mitochondrial function, reduce inflammation, but also something this study didn't point out was you improve circulation. So if you're able to improve circulation to your brain, good things are going to happen typically. So pretty cool systematic review that's relatively hot off the press. This next and last article we'll look at today, I mean, there's still fire on this. That's how hot off the press it is. May 28th of this year is where the study came from, out of the Journal of Photochemistry and Photobiology. Uh, so this came out just over a week ago, and it looks at a particular part of oral health. It's called the effect of photobiomodulation on the incidence of alveolar osteitis and post-operative pain following mandibular third molar surgery, a double-blind randomized clinical trial. 
Yeah, that's a mouthful of a title. You wouldn't want to put that on the front of a uh, cover of a book. But yeah, so it's looking at alveolar osteitis. What that is, is essentially dry socket. It's inflammation of the alveolar bone. And the alveolar bone is uh, the part of the jaw that holds the teeth. So that's what this piece of research was looking at. It utilized both red and near-infrared laser. And the conclusion was that photobiomodulation reduced the risk of the development of alveolar osteitis following surgical removal of an impacted third molar. The amount of pain experienced by the photobiomodulation group after surgery was significantly less compared to sham treatment, leading to reduced need for analgesics during the post-operative week. The incidence of alveolar osteitis typically occurs, you know, around three to seven days post-extraction. And so the results suggest that photobiomodulation treatment within seven days could help reduce the risk of alveolar osteitis development. So pretty darn cool that something as simple as light can have such a significant impact on something like dry socket. People are getting oral surgery all the time. So if we have this little piece of research, again, that came out about a week ago, pointing us to the direction that red and near-infrared light can have this type of an impact post-surgery on, you know, not developing dry socket. But we also know from other research that whether it's wound healing or other oral research, that it accelerates the healing process. And just like we talked about with, with Alzheimer's disease and uh, a lot with the canine study as well, is that it all comes back to reducing inflammation, which helps with the healing process, improving circulation, which helps with the healing process, and then anything you can do to optimize the batteries in your cells, being the mitochondria, you're going to have more energy to recover and recover properly. So pretty cool, something hot off the press, showing such an impact on post-surgical oral health. Hey there, guys. So I know you're excited to learn about red light therapy, but I'm betting that you're also interested in finding a high-quality red light therapy device. Well, look no further than my company, BioLite. But don't take my word for it. Listen to the thousands of customers that have come before you and have chosen BioLite because of its unprecedented combination of high light power, low EMF emission, and low light flicker. So you're not only getting the most effective treatment option, but the safest as well. And there's many sizes to choose from. There's handheld devices, tabletop models, and even full body panels. So there's definitely a size to match your lifestyle and health and wellness goals. As an added bonus, you can claim a $100 value gift at checkout when you use coupon code REDLIGHTPODCAST. Just go to www.biolight.shop, choose whichever device is going to match your health and wellness needs, and use coupon code REDLIGHTPODCAST to claim your $100 gift. Again, that's www.biolight.shop. So that's the research for this week. For most uh, solo sodes, we'll go through about two to four pieces of research just to keep you guys in the loop. Some of them will be older, kind of like the canine studies, and then a couple of them will be hot off the press just to keep you guys in the loop. Now, let's dig into the principles of red light therapy, as promised. We need to begin with understanding what red and near-infrared light is. And this will be a very brief summary compared to those other episodes. But we just need to remember that red light and near-infrared light are part of the electromagnetic spectrum. Red light sits in about the 600 to 700 nanometer part of the spectrum and is visible, whereas near-infrared is not visible, it's invisible to our eyes, and it sits around 700 to 1100 nanometers. 
And so if you get a device and it has red and near-infrared light, you're only going to see the red light. If you have the near-infrared light on only, then all you're going to see is maybe a dim glow, but you're not going to see any light. And so what I tell people is, if you want to see if the uh, LEDs are working, put your hand up close to the device, maybe about an inch or so away, and you should feel some heat. Because near-infrared is a longer wavelength, so it's going to produce more heat, just like in an infrared sauna, which is predominantly mid and far infrared, which are longer wavelengths than near-infrared. Those produce heat, obviously. And so if you want to see your, if your device is working with the near-infrared, again, put your hand up close to the device, and you should feel a little bit of warmth. I shouldn't say heat, but it, it definitely is some nice warmth. And as we've discussed with the research, both red and near-infrared light act upon the mitochondria inside of our cells to stimulate increased energy production and produce our overall health, wellness, and longevity. There's even a longevity theory out there called the mitochondrial theory of aging, which basically says the healthier your mitochondria are, the longer you're going to live, or the better you will slow down the aging process. On the flip side, the more dysfunctional mitochondria you have, the quicker you're going to age. Possibly the quicker you'll die, not necessarily though, but you'll have a lower quality of life because you'll have too many dysfunctional mitochondria and you'll accelerate the aging process. So the fact that they impact the mitochondria in such a positive way, they being light, really explains why red light therapy can help normalize and optimize so many health conditions. Red and near-infrared are both able to induce amazing healing benefits on, on the cells they irradiate, leading to modulated inflammation, reduced pain, boosted resiliency, enhanced regeneration, and on and on and on. As a side note, red light therapy will not have a direct effect on vitamin D production like you would get from, let's say, full-spectrum sunlight or a UV lamp. And that's because UVB is required for the synthesis of vitamin D. So again, there may be some indirect effects. Let's say if you have seasonal affective disorder, by utilizing red light therapy, you may improve your mood, you may improve your energy status, but you will not have a direct effect on your vitamin D production, which is extremely important for many aspects of health. It is also paramount to understand that the main differences between red and near-infrared are that red penetrates about half an inch deep. So again, you're only going to affect the skin and some of the skin layers, whereas near-infrared penetrates about one and a half inches or so, meaning that it's going to penetrate much deeper. So if you're going to treat anything deeper than the skin, meaning muscle, bones, ligaments, tendons, organs, so on and so forth, you must utilize near-infrared. If you're only concerned with treating the skin, let's say wound healing, cellulite, any inflammatory skin condition, or just anti-aging skin treatment, then you want red light only and not a combination of red and near-infrared light because that's going to be wasted energy with the near-infrared and you may utilize too much energy and you may not get the results you're looking for for the skin. Which brings us to the point of the biphasic dose response because I think a lot of people get into this mood or into this mindset of more is better. Just like anything, exercise, sleep, drinking water, fasting, eating, and so on and so forth, there's too much of a good thing. And so there's this biphasic dose response, which is 
that's a bell curve. And on the left side of the low side, you have too low of a dose. And that just means you're not going to see the results you're looking for because you're not getting enough energy there. And on the far right side of the bell curve, you're going to have the area where you're utilizing too high of a dose, meaning you're giving your body or your the certain area you're treating too much energy. So that's what I was talking about with the skin. If you're doing just skin, use red light only because you're going to give your body too much energy if you also combine near infrared light and you're probably not going to see the result you're looking for. So with a bell curve, it's all about hitting that sweet spot. Right in between the low dose and the high dose, you want to find that perfect optimal dose. And again, that all depends on what you're trying to treat. If you're treating skin versus sleep versus anxiety and stress versus boosting your muscles for exercise, those are all going to be different bell curves, if you will, meaning they're all going to take different doses to be the optimal dose. For example, anti-aging skin treatments take the lowest amount or the fewest joules of light energy to get the results you're looking for. Compared to treating neurological conditions, let's say anything with the brain, nerves, spinal cord, that's going to take an extraordinarily higher amount of energy to ascertain the results you're looking for. We're talking 30 minutes, 45 minutes, an hour, sometimes longer, again, depending on what you're trying to treat. And part of that's due to the nerves being energy rich, so they need more light because there's more mitochondria. But secondly, most of the time, the nerves, the brain is deeper, or you have to go through more tissue and bone to get that light you're using to the ultimate goal of being the nerves. So I hope that makes sense. And again, that's going to be different from person to person. So not only is the optimal dose different from treatment to treatment, a la skin versus brain health, but it's going to be different person to person. And that's going to be that way because of your sex, of your weight, of your health status, how many medications are you taking, what medications are you taking, because medications have an impact on light. So again, that's very multifactorial. Probably the biggest variable is your health status. Again, like I said, Uh, when we're talking about the research, the healthier you are, the less you're going to notice from red light therapy. Whereas uh, the sicker you are, or the more healing that your body needs, you're going to see bigger results quicker, because your body, again, is very resilient, and if you give it what it needs, it will heal. When people are looking at protocols, or they're asking for protocols or they're asking for exactly how to use red light therapy for such and such condition. That's a very loaded question. And as much research as there is out there, it's very confounding from article to article because some uh, research is using lasers, some research is using LEDs, using different uh, uh, types of power, they're using different spectra of light, they're using different frequencies per week, treatments per month, so on and so forth. So even the research while we are getting good results, there's not enough of it that is consistent enough to have like a very perfect protocol for every single thing uh, that people are looking to treat. So that's why I developed uh, the Red Light Therapy Treatments Protocol ebook that I did. I just dig through the research. Let's say we're looking at skin health, anti-aging. I look at all of the high quality research on anti-aging skin treatments. I take the conglomerate of the power, the frequency, how many times per day, per week, per month, what spectra of light, and so on and so forth, to develop the protocols that I put in that ebook. But you'll even see that the protocols in that ebook have quite a large range. 
whether the treatment time is, let's say, one to four minutes. Do it three to five times per week. And again, that all comes back to that there's such a large variability between person to person and, of course, treatment to treatment. So it's going to be exciting because there's lots of research coming out. There's been over 11,000 articles in the last decade or so. And so there's a lot of interest here. There's going to be a lot more research, and that means we're going to have much more accurate and precise protocols as time goes on. So let's quickly just take a quick review of the mitochondria. Like I talked about, there's the mitochondrial theory of aging. We know that they're the powerhouse or the battery packs of our cells. So the more energy that you have, the more uh, vitality and health that you're going to have. And as Dr. Doug Wallace, the leading mitochondrial researcher, would tell us, the healthier your mitochondria are, the longer you're going to live, or you're going to slow down the aging process much better than if you're to have dysfunctional mitochondria, as he says that dysfunctional mitochondria is essentially aging. He also says that the more energy that your cells have, the less disease you're going to have. So let's think about that. The more energy per cell, the less disease you'll have. And that's because if we have too many dysfunctional mitochondria per cell, that's going to lead to a dysfunctional cell. And if we have too many dysfunctional cells per tissue, we're going to have a dysfunctional tissue. And again, if we have too much or too many dysfunctional tissues, it's going to lead to a dysfunctional organ. And if we have too many dysfunctional organs, that's going to lead to death. So just to reverse engineer that, if we do not want to lead ourselves to death and we want anti-aging and longevity, then it would behoove us to have as much healthy and energetic organs as possible, which means we need as much healthy and energetic tissues as possible, which means we need as much energetic and healthy cells as possible, which all comes down to optimizing our mitochondrial health. In essence, the mitochondrial theory of aging submits that the mitochondria are ultimately our biological clock. And that is why. So, here is a list, you know, albeit not complete, of organ systems that can be compromised secondary to mitochondrial dysfunction. Muscles, such as muscle weakness and muscle pain. The brain, of course, like dementia, Alzheimer's that we talked about, migraines. Nerves, such as neuropathic pain, neuropathic weakness. Kidneys, such as excessive loss of protein and electrolytes. The heart, just like the brain, takes a lot of energy, so you know it's very mitochondrial dense. You can see cardiomyopathy. You can see heart blocks with mitochondrial dysfunction. The liver, hypoglycemia, or non-alcoholic liver failure. With the eyes, optic neuropathy, and uh, retinitis pigmentosa. With the ears, uh, you can have hearing loss or other types of sensitivity. With the pancreas, diabetes, or different types of pancreatic failure. So here's another list that illustrates the acquired conditions that implicate mitochondrial dysfunction. This one's going to ring a lot more bells. Type 2 diabetes, cancers, Alzheimer's disease, Parkinson's disease, bipolar disorder, schizophrenia, aging and senescence, no surprise there, anxiety disorders, cardiovascular diseases, sarcopenia, which is loss of muscle mass, exercise intolerance, well, you need energy to exercise. Fatigue, same thing. And the fatigue includes chronic fatigue syndrome, fibromyalgia, and mild 
fascial pain. And then let's get into this concept of hormesis. This is very important as it relates to red light therapy. So in a nutshell, hormesis is the concept that explains that while a stressor in small increments is good for your health, that same stressor in excess is a detriment to your health. So let's think of exercise, fasting, alcohol, sun exposure, eating. In smaller, appropriate doses, each of those aforementioned stressors cause your body to adapt and quote-unquote come back stronger, right? Repeated over time, this leads to long-lasting health and wellness benefits. But on the flip side, when these same lifestyle habits are repeatedly implemented in excess, they can lead to dysfunction and degeneration of your cells, tissues, organs, and body, just like we talked about with dysfunctional mitochondria. So how does this really relate to red light therapy? Well, uh, the red and near-infrared light that stimulates the mitochondria acts as a mild stressor, thus leads to a hormetic response. The most notable response is this transient increase in reactive oxygen species. Again, in excess, these uh, reactive oxygen species has a damaging effect, a deleterious effect to the body, but in small amounts is positive. So ultimately, these small increases in reactive oxygen species actually activates many of the same cell defense systems that exercise does. That's pretty crazy. It's almost like exercise in a panel. If you're getting similar physiological effects with hormesis, uh, using red light therapy as you do with exercise, and if you get down to the nitty-gritty of cellular physiology, red light therapy builds up your internal antioxidant and anti-inflammatory defense system, much like exercise build up your muscle size and aerobic capacity. So there's definitely some parallels to the biphasic dose response, where more is not better, just like exercise. Exercising intensely every day is not good, because your body never has time to recover from all the muscle fibers tearing and the inflammatory responses, which again, in small doses, in appropriate frequencies, is very good. But if you do too much, that's not going to be a good thing. You're going to not allow your body, your cells to recover, So you're actually going to do more harm than good. And so for those who are interested in dosing, I kind of want to preface this uh, by saying that if you don't really care to understand the science and the nuances that go into formulating the dosages for for the protocols, then you can kind of fast forward through this. But again, it's pretty interesting. And this is kind of where the rubber meets the road. And so in order to have an effective protocol, it's imperative that you're utilizing appropriate dosing. And this is very dependent on what you're treating, how superficial or deep your target tissue is, again, such as the skin versus the joint. If you're doing just the skin, red light is perfect. If you're doing the joint, you must incorporate near infrared. And typically, the deeper the tissue, the larger the dose, or the larger the dosage needs to be. And that's because light is lost as it travels through uh, the various biological layers. We've got skin, fat, veins muscle, tendons, ligaments. So it has to go through all these different layers before it shines upon the target tissue. So let's just do a quick thought experiment here. So imagine you're turning on your very bright red light therapy device, and then you place one sheet of paper directly in front of the light. This would knock down the light irradiance, maybe slightly, let's say. But then you add another sheet of paper, 
So now even less light gets through. Add another sheet, less light. Add another sheet, less light, and so on and so forth. Before long, it's going to be pretty darn difficult to detect much light coming from uh, your light source that was once quite radiant. So you can envision that every sheet of paper is a biological layer in your body and that the light must pass through that layer. But as it passes through the layer, it loses some of the light and it loses some of the light irradiance. So if the light from your red light therapy device has to reach the brain, if it has to reach the joints or certain organs that are deep or bones, of course, which are the deepest. So you can now understand why these protocols uh, for deeper tissues necessitate higher dosages. Whereas the more superficial treatments, like the skin, require much lower dosages. And again, it all goes back to that biphasic dose response where, depending on what you're treating, the optimal dosage will vary. So fundamentally, red light therapy dosing comes down to how much light energy, called joules, your target tissue needs to absorb during a treatment session for optimal results. It's not going to be an exact number, but rather a range. Since, again, we're all different, all of our bodies are different, and we have individualized biological systems. It is up to you, the person utilizing the red light therapy, to figure out, within a certain range, where your body best responds to a given protocol. So that's why I always call red light therapy, and really anything that's biohacking, it's an N equals 1 experiment. There's a general idea, there's a general consensus of how it should and will work, but it's up to you to see how it whether it's supplements or red light therapy or PEMF or vibrational therapy or, or what have you, it's up to you to see how your body responds to a certain dosage and then alter it um, as necessary. So another factor that's got to be considered with red light therapy dosing, one of the first ones you got to consider is light irradiance. Most devices utilize light irradiance of 20 to 200 milliwatts per centimeter squared. So if you really want a therapeutic dose, you want a device that has at least a hundred. Because again, if you're treating deep, you need powerful light. And the more powerful the light, the deeper it can travel. So when dosing, you need to consider the light irradiance of the device you're using. And another factor that you got to consider is the distance from the light source. So it's imperative to understand that the distance between your light source and yourself completely depends on what you're trying to treat. Again, back to anti-aging skin, because that's the lowest dosage. The research shows that about 15 to 18 inches away is optimal. Again, that depends on uh, your light dosage. This is specific for BioLite devices. But 15 to 18 inches is optimal for anti-aging skin. Whereas for treating the brain or or joints, you want to be closer. You want to be around 6 inches away. Again, this is only one variable. Distance is only one part of the story. But even just that one example shows you how widely it can vary between two different types of treatments. And so, when considering the distance from the light source, it's also essential to understand that light getting to the target tissue is lost exponentially and not linearly the farther you are from the light source. So, so for example, the amount of light penetration you lose by going from 0 to 6 inches is less light lost than going from 6 to 12, which is less than you lose from going 12 to 18. So essentially, again, it's exponentially more light that you're losing with every inch or every 6 inches that you go away. So it's not like you lose the same amount of light from 0 to 6 as you do from 6 to 12 as you do from 12 to 18. 
you lose a lot more going from six to 12 than you do going from zero to six. I know that's a lot of numbers, but again, the further you get away, it's not a linear effect, meaning you're not losing the same amount of light with every inch. You're losing exponentially more light power. So just keep that in mind when you are on the other side of the room from your panel or you're multiple feet away. If you're multiple feet away, that's a very, very low dosage. And that's perfect if you're doing some exercise, you're doing yoga, you're doing meditation, you're doing it for the ambiance. But if you're doing it for a therapeutic effect, you do need to be closer into that 0 to 6 to 12 inch range. Again, with anti-aging skin, 15 to 18 inches works. So really, when you're trying to determine dosages, the dose is just light irradiance times time or times duration. The light irradiance or the dose is determined by how close you are. Let's say, for example, to get one joule of energy and you're utilizing 100 milliwatts per centimeter squared, the minimum, it would take about 10 seconds to get your one joule. So if we go back to that canine study that had about 10 to uh, 20 joules per treatment, and we know that it takes 10 seconds to get one joule, then it would take about 100 to 200 seconds utilizing 100 milliwatts per centimeter squared to get that correct dosage. And so you would just need to know the irradiance of your device at six inches. Most of them are about 100, 125, some are 150. And then from that, you would know how long your treatment should be. So again, if you know that it's 100 milliwatts per centimeter squared at six inches, and you want to treat your dog, and you know that it's about 10 to 20 joules per session, then again, 100 to 200 seconds per treatment. They're doing two treatments a week for six weeks to reduce that elbow osteoarthritis. I know I just threw a lot of numbers at you. Let's just go through one more example. But for the dosage, for example, let's say that you have a protocol that necessitates 20 joules for a treatment session, just like the dogs. We'll say that you also know that uh, the distance from the red light therapy device, the light radiance is 100. You would then look at the above table that I provided in the ebook, and that you would know that it takes 10 seconds for one joule, multiply it by 20. That means you, it would take 200 seconds which is about three and a third minutes. So now you have an accurate time range of about three to four minutes per treatment for treating the dog. In that study, of course, they said the larger the dog, they increase the duration of the treatment. So that's why they had the range of 10 to 20 seconds. So that's, that's a quick breakdown if you're wondering how to develop some sort of a protocol. Everyone has access to PubMed. It's free. Most of the articles you can get uh, for free, some of them you can't, but at least you have the abstract. So if you're curious about how to develop a protocol for a very niche treatment or just a protocol that you can't find anywhere else, that should give you a decent sense of how to develop your own protocol. And so with that being said, those are the basic principles of red light therapy that I wanted to go over today. So I hope that was useful. Just a quick review of what red and near infrared light is, what the mitochondria are, you know, the different impacts of mitochondrial dysfunction on the body. We went through the biphasic dose response, hormesis, and then some dosing. So I hope you found this episode useful, practical. Hopefully you can apply it to your own red light therapy treatments. If you guys want to see anything specific in future solo sodes, whether it be specific research or um, other things you want me to talk about, please send a message through Instagram 
at biolite.shop or send me an email at info at biolite.shop because I'm always looking for feedback. I'm always looking for different things to talk about so I can make this as user-friendly as possible, um, this podcast that is, and so I can make it as informative and useful for the audience. So I hope you found it useful. Hope you guys have a fantastic week. I hope it's been good information that we've been providing with with the different interviews and, and the solo sodes so far. But again, I'm always looking for feedback and any way I can improve the podcast. So I hope you guys have a fantastic week. Use your light, get some full spectrum sunlight, use your red light therapy panels. But again, more is not better. It's all about that optimal dosage. So again, this is Dr. Mike Belkowski signing off from the Red Light Report. Thank you for listening to the Red Light Report. If you like what you heard today, go ahead and leave us a review on iTunes and other podcast platforms to help spread the word so other people can learn about the many health, wellness, and longevity benefits of red light therapy. If you're looking for more educational content, check out our Instagram page at biolite.shop and our YouTube channel, Biolite. I'm Dr. Mike Belkowski, and I'll see you on the next episode.